Sometimes our mind can play tricks on us, but not everything that goes bump in the night is a figment of the imagination or a trick of the mind. Tonight on The Soul Trap, Beyond the Veil, we creep into the haunting at a Kentucky church. Whatever you do, don't fall. The most paranormal book in all the world is the Bible. It defines reality through a two-plane existence, heaven and earth. Throughout its pages, these worlds parallel, intersect, and at times explode in apocalyptic collision. Before the Garden of Eden, when Lucifer ruled a mysterious kingdom here on earth, there was no separation between the two worlds. In the recreation we are so familiar with in Genesis, there was little that separated these worlds. It was in the cool of the day, morning and evening, that God, very spirit, walked among the flowers of the garden with man. But when Adam fell that dark day, when he made the willful choice to sin against God, that openness between the worlds was veiled. At times throughout the Bible, the veil is thinned, but always, always, there is a separation between the reality of earth and the reality of heaven. What makes the Bible stories so transcendent is that they remind us of that other world, of what was lost. They show us the intrusion of its power and eternity at points all along the narrative, yet ever so careful to maintain the veil. The story of the Bible runs until a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the mystery of godliness, bridges once again those two realms that were severed. He was indeed a strange character on the stage of human drama, fully God from heaven, fully man of earth. With his arrival, that separated parallel existence merged. God and the heavens walked among men and the earth. But as the story goes, that Christ Jesus returned to the heavenly realms, well, once again, the veil was lowered between the two, earth and heaven, man and spirit, able to feel, sense, and be aware, yet separated. As believers, there is a promise that this veil will once and for all be removed when Jesus returns. Until then, there remains separation and distance between the two worlds. Yet, like the stories of old, at times, the distance is razor thin. There are events and experiences in which the two worlds come strangely and terrifyingly close. You see, the story is not finished. The attempts of Satan to dethrone God has not diminished since the catastrophic day in antiquity past. He tears, he grapples and claws at the veil. The schemes of satanic design all orbit the mad desire of incarnation, the enfleshing of spirit apart from God. True Bible believers have known of this parallel world since the days of Paul's writing in Ephesians. Real faith has operated in the knowledge of the two realms, yet like the world at large, Christianity has not been immune to the deadening effects of materialism, empiricism, 
Christians should be aware of what lies beyond the veil. It should not preoccupy all of our time and energy, but it should be an ever-present reality in our thinking because it is an ever-present reality in our life. Christians should operate in the knowledge of what lurking fiends press at us through the void. They should live in earth, but be aware of heaven, of what is watching just outside of the reach in the shadows and caverns of experience, and spirit and flesh. Alas, we are not aware. When the world intersects at the coming of Christ, most will be in shock. There is still a story being told. There is still a battle raging. At times, the press of the other side can be felt through the thinner point of the veil that separates the realm of flesh and spirit. And maybe you are one of the many that have experienced this. Others most certainly have. The story I am about to tell you is a story recounted to me by a man that operated and lived aware of this other world. A man who shared this story with me firsthand, and I do not ask or demand your belief. I only ask for a fair hearing. Is this story true? Is this man lying? In the quietness of your own reflection, in your own experiences, you make the judgment. Church buildings at night are terrifying. There's a dread and weight of being alone in a church in the dead of night. Those uninitiated in the experience will assume we are over-dramatizing. Those who have experienced it will concur loudly. Church buildings are a focal point for the powers of darkness. A place that stands against all that they are, will be, or dream of tearing down. A visible, physical reality of the power and claims of Jesus of Nazareth. They are an architectural memorial of their master's failure and the true eternal master's victory. Evangelist Bride, we will call him, was not an amateur on the church circuit. He was a full-time evangelist cut from the old cloth, fearless and committed. He covered several states for months at a time preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most of the time, he was housed with church families. Occasionally, he was placed in local inexpensive motels. But once, he was boarded at a church. Once. One weekend in the backwood territory of Kentucky, Evangelist Bride was bunking in what was commonly called a prophet's chamber. The church itself was a simple structure of one continual connection. There was the sanctuary which connected to a rather large rectangular building behind it. The rectangular building had one large hallway that ran the length of it with classrooms on either side. At the end was a door which led into a fellowship hall used as a cafeteria. Between the sanctuary and the building which housed the classrooms and the fellowship hall was the prophet's chamber. A simple but warm room where missionaries and evangelists and visiting ministers could stay in relative comfort, could find ease from their labors and the traversing of the journeys of the gospel. 
These were the days of no Wi-Fi, no internet, and no respectable church of this denomination would be caught dead running cable TV into the house of God. And so, he had a quiet place all to his own. The weekend meeting had gone very, very well. People had experienced God, and conversions were being witnessed in the services. The pastor of the church asked Evangelist Bride to stay on. Now certainly, Bride had other engagements, a home he longed to see, other churches he was scheduled to be with, but the movement was so powerful and so real. And so much was being done for God. It was everyone's desire that he continue his gospel work. Almost everyone's desire. The quiet darkness of the prophet's chamber was disrupted late one night by sounds of voices arguing in the furthest part of the back building. The service had been long over. The parking lot had been empty. Bride had been there by himself for some time. Now, Bride was surprised. It was late. No one should have been there. In the darkness, he could clearly hear distinctly several voices which seemed angry, frustrated, agitated. A guest unaccustomed to this church and the way it operated, he lay there quietly. Maybe the janitor had returned, the deacon, the pastor. Maybe there was some sort of counseling going on. The fact of the matter is he didn't believe anyone should be there, but nonetheless... He lay quietly. The voices continued to move from loud and abrasive to almost a mumble at his door, drawing closer, eerily hushed like whispers, making plans in the dark. Suddenly there was an eruption of indiscernible yelling just on the other side of his door. Gathering himself, he scrambled out of bed, fearing there may be a fight, only to throw open the door and find no one was there. Peering down the long, darkened hallway, he saw nothing. He heard nothing. Bride, aged, seasoned, leathered evangelist as he was, convinced himself the people had merely left the building and returned home. Maybe it was teenagers playing a joke on him. Regardless, he was tired, too old and too confident to worry. And returning to his bed, he tried to convince himself that he could sleep and sought to find sleep. Almost one hour later, the sounds were back. Only this time, it was one clear voice yelling, angered, and substantially vile in its language. The old evangelist could not bear that kind of language. An old, biblical, Victorian wrath rose in him. He flung open the door. Joke or no joke, prank or no prank, no one had the right to speak this way in the house of God. He stood there, braced to rebuke the man he heard outside. But again, no one was there. There was nothing. Only the vast, unfurling corridor of darkness. Yet, something caught his eye. 
he thought he saw, albeit dimly, a figure standing at the end of the long hallway. Bride called to the figure, assuming it was the pastor or possibly an irritable caretaker, calling out, waiting for a response. But there was none. As the old evangelist's eyes adjusted to the dark, it appeared to Bride that whatever, whoever it was, was facing away from him. Slowly, his weary eyes were adjusting. Clearly, without a doubt, someone was there. Sound of any kind was absent. Only the stillness of the moment and the frozen figure at the end of the hallway. He watched as it opened the door and stepped into the darkness beyond. Technology connects us for better or for worse. These days we never really are alone, but have we ever really been alone, truly? Ride had no connection with the outside world. In those days there was only the motion of the mind and the sounds that the night and old buildings make. Of all old buildings, churches make the most awful sounds. In the light, they remind us of grace and goodness, but in the dark, they creak with sounds and shapes from the realms of shadow. Bride stood before the door, the door that the visitor had passed through. It was locked. It opened into the outside. A narrow window on the left side of the door revealed to the evangelist's eyes what his ears had been hearing. Rain. It fell uneven, pattering on the old roof of the Kentucky church. Looking out through the thin window, Bride expected to see a car, something that would give explanation to who was there, but nothing appeared. His mind wanted answers, but the truth is his body clamored for rest. The services had been long and the work had been exhausting. Turning to walk back to his bed through the hallway with classrooms on either side, for the first time, felt ominous. His mind told him it was nothing but a musty-smelling building used to teach children Bible lessons. But his spirit felt thousands of crevices filled with leering eyes. Beings in the shadow that watched him with feigned anticipation, lustily feeding upon the dread he now felt for the first time. The journey down that hallway felt so long. Yet eventually he pulled the covers to his chin, rested his Bible by his bed, and waited for sleep hurriedly find him. For a moment, he felt sleep until he felt the sound. The door down the end of the now dreaded hallway had slammed shut. It had closed with such thunderous force, he actually felt the wood panel walls in his prophet's chamber shudder. Someone had come in from the outside. Standing now at his own room's door, Bride slowly pushed it open. 
He was there. It was there. There was a figure where once it had stood before. There was no sound. There was only the cavernous hallway of darkened rooms and a being at the end. Ride called to the person. What he said himself, he could never really recall and remember. In all probability, it was something pedestrian, something innocuous. We think we would say this or that in the situation, but the mind never reacts as we want it to in these situations. Whatever he said this time, unlike the time before, did elicit a response. Ride would say clearly that upon first seeing the person, the time before, he felt that it was turned away from him. Now the person at the end of the hall was facing him. The person now acknowledged Ride's presence. It looked at him, gazed at him. Ride could not explain how this was through the darkness. He more felt it than saw it. His throat squeezed as he called out again. As he called a third time, the person, the being at the end of the hall, released a scream. It's hard to define the sound, he would say later. It was more like a wail, a collision between pain and soul. The sound ripped through me, he stated. Whatever the noise was, it invaded my existence and has never yet fully vacated. It is there sometimes still at night when I close my eyes. The sound the cry buried beneath the years and life still occasionally blows through my memory reminding me of that terrible night. Bride fell to his knees and immediately began to pray. The being howled again, lunging across the expanse of the dark hallway. The air filled with an explosion of sound and scream. It was hunting him, he felt. Lurching across the hallway through the blackness of the empty church, its force and presence became sensibly, tangibly, palpably real. Cold, spindly fingers grasped at him, clawing his very existence. It crashed violently into him, hating him. Forced through the contracted corridor of his throat, escaped the one word bride could force into his conscious thought at such a terrifying moment. Jesus! And like that, it was gone. No sound, no being, no lunging agent of the Shadowlands. Bride immediately felt led to leave the church early. Better to wait out the morning at a Waffle House 20 miles up the road than in a prophet's chambers 20 miles beyond the veil. Never again, never before had he experienced anything like this. This night, the old evangelist proclaimed he experienced the thinning, the veil. Do you believe his story? Do you have one yourself? How close is the other side?